I'm Misty Winkler, and you're listening to the Simply Convivial audio blog. Welcome to the Simply Convivial audio blog, where we practice managing our lives with fruitful, faithful resilience, overcoming distraction and discouragement, so we can glorify God in our work and in our attitudes. Today's audio blog is a favorite of mine from 2018. I wrote it after our local CM book club began Brandy Bensel's Start Here Guide Through Charlotte Mason's 20 Principles. We discussed principle one, and it struck me that we need to remember to apply our principles not only to the little ones, but to continue to stretch and grow our understanding and application, even as our children are stretching and growing themselves. So let's dig in. 12-year-olds are persons, too. Charlotte Mason's first principle applied. I'm in a local book club studying Charlotte Mason's 20 principles using the study guide by Brandy Wenzel. I've done this study in an online group before, but there's something different and more personal in a local group that includes people who know you and your family. Last month's meeting was on principle one, children are born persons. And one of the extra readings linked to in the study was a post that I wrote in 2013, classically Charlotte, children are born persons. When I first was working through these principles and applying them, my kids were all little. So my thoughts of personhood were tied to the diaper and toddler and phonics seasons. Now I am teaching phonics to my youngest and those little phonics learners that I had at the time are middle school and high school. Time is an ever-rolling stream. And so this principle, and also my memory of applying it years ago, struck me in a new way in this season, as principles are wont to do. Turns out, despite all evidence and feelings to the contrary, even middle school boys are born persons, and not only toddlers and preschoolers. Seeing the personhood and personality in the younger years is eye-opening, vital, and amusing. We're enchanted by their enthusiasm and delighted by their personal touches to their learning. So what happens to our enchantment, our delight, to our principles, when they hit the skeptical, assertive, reserved, slacking stage? P.S. A few children, STJs on the Myers-Briggs personality, most likely, will not go through this stage in the same way, nor cause the great fear, disappointment, and concern for their homeschooling mothers as other types might. But most will. So hold on. When the enthusiasm wanes, when the work is sloppy and argued over, when the feet are dragging and the arguments take more time than any lesson combined, remember, this is a person. And that's why these struggles are happening. Just as we embrace the delight and the curiosity of our young children, so we must embrace this more challenging season. Because although the young child is a person, he's not an adult. Adulthood arises out of challenges. He is becoming his own person and not your person. Let it happen. Of course, middle school boys are not without their joys, their enthusiasms, and their curiosities, but as they grow, their joys and hobbies are more individual and less tied to what we as their mothers are directing and intending. 
what has happened to all your joy? The enthusiasm of our young children energizes us. When they delight in poems, birds, stories, and singing, we take a deep breath and are relieved. This education thing we're trying is working. Then things get patchy. The 12-year-old puts on a stoic face, shuffles in the back of the group, leans away at the table. He argues about doing his assignments or reading that book or doing so much math. He pokes at his siblings or shirks his work. He argues and argues and argues. I had four younger brothers, and Cindy, mother of eight boys, has also talked about this. So when the stage hit with my own boys, I quickly realized and remembered, oh yeah, this is a thing. (laughs) Even, or especially as the oldest daughter, 12 was the year I was worst to my mom. Here's what's going on under the surface, though. They are testing this all out for themselves. Perhaps a little like Descartes, they want to go back and erase all their previous assumptions and affections and build it all over again to find the truth, to find their own balance in a rocky emotional hormonal roller coaster. They lose their bearings and they won't just accept yours anymore. They will find their own, thank you very much. And that's a good thing. We want them to own their learning, to own their process, own their affections, and not simply adopt ours unthinkingly. This is the messy process by which they are doing just that. Hold on through the roller coaster, through the storm. It will pass. Yes, your sweet little boy is often not to be found in this phase, but that's the trade-off we make for raising up men. Console yourself. He is gearing up for manhood, which is scary and uncomfortable and unmanageable. And of course, you will not understand. He's right. Shrug off that accusation and tell him he's right, but he still has to do his work. Finding joy. So when the joy is gone, do we just march along without it? Sometimes that is necessary. We want them to be prepared for real life and doing what must be done regardless of how they feel about it. But we as mothers must remember that we, and especially our sons, will not find joy in returning to how things were before. Charlotte Mason says this as she considers and develops her first principle, quote, life is a continual progress to a child. He does not go over old things in old ways. His joy is to go on. The immensity of his powers brings its own terrors. Read that again slowly and think of your middle schooler, not your nine-year-old. If we, like him, are terrified at the immensity or the intensity of his powers, including his emotions, we're tempted to try to pull him back, to return to the good old snuggle-on-the-couch days. That is actually an escalation of his problems, not a service. His joy is to go on. Has he lost hope that he will ever finish this book, ever understand this math concept? He wants to progress, and he thinks he never will. I think we can all relate to that feeling. Are we trying to keep them boys? Well, his joy is to go on. He knows that manhood is around the corner, and he doesn't know how or when exactly or even what but he knows he's different and there's no going back. He knows he can't continue on in the same way, so he's awkward, fearful, and uncertain. 
Different children will express this transition differently. Our duty as mothers is not to wish them to be toddlers or little boys again. Our duty is also never to express that to them. Then we are part of the threat and not part of the help. Our duty is to stand by them, to hold them accountable and treat them with respect. The respect that says, yes, you don't like this, but this is your work and you will do it. Charlotte Mason again, quote, It is when the little boy is able to stop all these and restrain himself with quivering lip that his will comes into play. For he has a conscience, too. A conscience is a part of personhood. A will is a part of personhood. Charlotte Mason reminds us that giving in to petty desires and selfish tempers is the sign of a weak will and not a strong one. A strong will is the will that chooses self-control. That takes the greatest strength. So we read this example again and picture our toddler boy. But read it again and picture your 12-year-old. It's the same. The argument is different. The pitch is different. But it's the same. We feel more equipped to withstand the toddler tantrum. But just like the toddler needs to learn to exercise self-control and restrain his emotional outburst, so again must that same toddler at 12. The toddler is crossing over from infancy to childhood, learning to walk and eat for himself, and it's scary new ground. He throws a fit as he tries to figure out his new position in life. Likewise, the 12-year-old is crossing over from childhood into adulthood. Give him the confidence and assurance that you will let him cross that bar. He will not surely die. As it takes a toddler many outbursts, many training sessions, many times of repetition to learn emotional and physical self-control, so it is for our adolescents. So it is for us. During this time, they are working on their self-control muscles. It causes soreness. It takes training, but training like a coach. Stick with it. Help them overcome their drama. Draw the line and hold it as they test it again and again. The fruit will come. If they learn this lesson in middle school, high school will be a joy again. If, however, they learn in middle school that they can get their way with us, or at least get their own way on the sly without being caught or having to face serious consequences, then high school at home will be nigh impossible. Our goal, Charlotte Mason reminds us, is not that we bend them to our will and again win a power struggle of instant obedience but that they learn the difficult skill of reigning in their emotions, their mouth, their strength. It is their practice, and they must do the work. It is their practice, just as much as learning history or math is their work. We can't do it for them, and we can't force it. It might take a year or more. And as they practice, and we realize that we also need practice, Their outbursts are too easily matched by our own. Instead of modeling calm self-control and self-possession and duty performance, we lose it just as quickly as they do. Perhaps our anger at their excuses is so quick because we are guilty of our own excuses. We all have that inner toddler who tantrums when she doesn't get a cookie. We also all have that inner 12-year-old who tries to get out of her work with justifying logic. As we parent our children, we realize every step of the way that we ourselves need parenting. 
And we, as well as our children, do have a parent who continues to help us grow and progress. God is our Father, and He works in us. It's sanctification. It's the joy of continual progress, though not without its messy phases. You do not have to be the controlling, perfect parent for your children. They also have the same Father you do, who works in their heart. God helps us in our weakness, and that us includes our children. And that concludes this episode of the Simply Convivial audio blog. To follow up, I highly recommend sitting down with pen and paper and brain dumping what it might mean in your situation to recognize both you and each of your children as persons. A brain dump is a sanity-saving and clarity-giving practice. You can learn more about it by downloading the free guide you'll find at simplyconvivial.com. And in it all, remember that education begins with repentance. So let's repent, rejoice, repeat. Repeat.